When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, every once in a while, somebody will ask me what my style of aquarium is, and it's kind of a tough one to answer because the aquariums that I create are based less on aesthetics than they are on an approach to interpreting natural aquatic habitats in different ways. So not really a style in the conventional sense, I see myself as a function first kind of guy whose tanks just happen to look the way they do because they embrace aspects of nature, which creates unique environmental conditions that are so compelling. And to be honest, most aquarists historically haven't found them to be particularly attractive as subject for aquariums. This is always a bit sad to me because some of these unusual aspects can create some of the most fascinating and ecologically successful aquariums imaginable if we can overcome our program concerns about their unconventional, by hobby standards anyway, their unconventional appearance. And with so many super talented aquarists out there, the possibilities for interpreting nature more naturally are endless if they can get their heads out of the aesthetics first mindset. Now, I freely admit that not every aquatic habitat is perfect for replication in the aquarium or even easy to recreate. Some create operational challenges and require modifications of the way we filter or manage aquariums. Some require entirely different thinking And, you know, that's something that you have to consider. Now, I believe that we can do literal interpretations of natural habitats based on how they form and what makes them function the way they do. Now, maybe we could put a bit of artistic liberty into them, but that's about it. And I freely admit it's not always easy figuring out how to take these ideas from the idea phase to the get the damn thing up phase. And for every cool idea I've executed, I must have five that never made it out of the mental you know, experimentation phase, and even more, which never made it out of the notebook of ideas I keep on these things. And that's okay, because each sort of aborted idea gets you closer to the execution of stuff you've really been trying to accomplish. The important takeaway here is to keep experimenting, figuring out how to create viable aquarium versions of natural aquatic features and do it to the best that you can. It's both rewarding and yeah, it's beautiful. I admit it can be somewhat discouraging at times playing with all these seemingly wacky ideas that you have in your head, especially when the world's adoring attention on social media is on those incredible, pristine looking, high concept planet tanks or whatever. I mean, you want to scream to everybody that this is no, it's not difficult, it's not dangerous, or really that weird, and that they should give you this approach, you know, give this approach a shot. It's hard not to sometimes, yet, as a lover of truly natural aquariums, and ways to interpret nature in a little glass box of water, you put your head down and soldier on. You don't expect the adorations of others to motivate you. I remember feeling this exact kind of loneliness earlier in the existence of Tan, and I felt like I existed in this, I don't know, bubble of, uh, or this almost invisible parallel universe where strange looking tanks played out in my space while, you know, artistic dreamscapes adorned my Instagram feed. It was kind of funny. 
Yet in my mind, I always saw incredible beauty in these types of natural, truly natural aquariums, supported by organisms and functions that many found extremely distasteful. It was certainly contrary to what the cool kids were doing, and the sort of jealousy I had for lack of attention dissipated while I kept my head down and simply enjoyed what I was playing with. I liked it because I liked it. The Biotope Aquarium crowd were my closest comrades, yet even many of them were taking an aesthetics over function angle at the time and definitely felt a little bit more out there to me. It was cool, but different. Again, if you've made the mental shifts to find stuff like decomposing leaves, brown water, detritus, and biofilms attractive and even alluring, then it really doesn't matter to you. And it didn't to me. I just kept my head in my game and did my thing. My work is not intended to be primarily artistic or even aesthetically focused, really. Rather, it's an interpretation of the function of the natural world. The form follows the function. I want to inspire others to look at the way natural aquatic habitats evolve and function and to try to replicate as many of the functional aspects of them as possible. If the tank just happens to look interesting, well, that's sort of a collateral benefit, isn't it? And when we approach recreating some of these habitats from a function-forward approach as opposed to just trying to recreate the look, not only do you create interesting operational parameters, you get many unusual benefits as well, as well some of which are analogous to those which the natural environment offers to the organisms which live in those places. And of course, the aesthetics often look substantially different than what you get when you just do diorama mode, you know. Nature goes to work and brings her own finishing touches that make it truly unique. Now, multiple times in the course of a year, you'll hear me calling to you or our community, um, just basically saying to try stuff that's extremely unconventional, perhaps even boundary bashing or pushing, aesthetically uncomfortable, even unconvincing for some, but different, functional, and yeah, I suppose weird. Stuff that pushes into, that's some strange shit territory, stuff that in previous years would result in a lot of hobbyists telling you stuff like, it can't work, you'll crash your tank, or it can't be maintained long-term, whatever. Stuff that as a disciple of the natural botanical method aquarium will leave, you know, asking those naysayers, why are you saying that? Because no one's done it before, or does the idea just not make sense to you? Yeah, pushing back on conventionality is often a good thing. There's so much interesting stuff out there to replicate in our aquariums, not just to diorama it up to win a biotope aquarium contest. No, no, no. But to replicate the function and then the form of these unique habitats. I say this over and over and over and over again because it's a completely different mindset. I think that we need to spend much more time trying to get our heads around why these natural habitats are the way they are. To understand why they formed, how they operate, and what sort of unique characteristics they possess which make them home to our beloved fishes. What the influences from the external factors like the surrounding terrestrial environment and forests and so forth are. I feel like I have a duty to expose the aquarium world to these unusual aspects of nature. Because they just might lead to some unlocks about aspects of the aquatic world that will create beneficial outcomes for our captive fishes in every discipline in the hobby. Not just because they're weird. Not just because they're replicating them runs contrary to what we've been told is appropriate subject matter for an aquarium. In fact, not all these things are weird. Not all of them are impossible or dangerous to replicate in the aquarium. Some are simply ideas that have not been played out in the confines of an aquarium yet for whatever reason. These ideas, these habitats are often simply overlooked. Attempting to replicate the functional aspects of these habitats is simply a due diligence kind of thing to me. It'll force us to push our skills to you know, learn something. These ideas are really fascinating. These ideas are cool. I find it amazing to consider that many natural habitats are things that have not been considered 
replicating the past simply because they seem dangerous or difficult. I suggest this. They were seen as dangerous or difficult to manage in an aquarium because we're evaluating them through the lens of conventional aquarium design and management. When we evaluate unconventional ideas using a conventional mindset, of course they seem unachievable and unmanageable. We talk a lot about stuff like sediment and substrates, detritus, decomposition, turbid water, and yeah, it's important to remember that these things are common in many aquatic habitats around the world, things that we have typically not incorporated into aquariums before. That, to me, is the next great challenge in the aquarium hobby, to create aquariums which are literal, functional interpretations of wild aquatic habitats. The neat thing is that once we get a handle on keeping aquariums run with the botanical method, replete with decomposing leaves, fungal-covered branches, sediments, all that stuff, successfully, the world opens up with possibilities. Suddenly, that strange-looking flooded meadow with the epiphyte-covered riparian plants and tons of moncousia and other kerosens isn't so unachievable. It takes a little study of the habitat and some experience creating the operation of a botanical method aquarium. What kinds of unusual habitats or ecological niches would I like to see us play with? What about playing with more representations of unusual niche habitats like vernal pools, flooded rice paddies, blackwater mangrove thickets, muddy streams, etc., etc.? I'll be doing my best over the next year or two to recreate more of those weird ones, did tangles of roots, detritus-filled tree stumps, sediment-encrusted branches, and all sorts of stuff that we see in various natural habitats. The concept of creating aquariums to represent natural habitats in form is not a new thing in the hobby. However, what is new is creating these aquariums to mimic the function of these habitats, to allow nature to work her magic on the aquascaping materials, and I said it in air quotes, you know, wood, roots, botanicals, whatever, and not to try to sanitize everything along the way. I'm personally a little bored of seeing those clinical or artistic interpretations of you know, blackwater habitats that are showing up on social media lately. There's more to it than simply translating a crystal clear nature aquarium style tank to one that has some tinted water. The skill set most of these creators bring with those Amano S tanks would be absolutely translatable into this little niche. They just need to relax a little bit on the over stylizing of stuff. That's all. I think many are starting to see that it's entirely possible to have a more natural functioning nature aquarium style system, which doesn't attempt to over stylize and over sanitize everything. It just takes a little time and a little experience with botanical method approaches to get your head around it. I totally get it. Rethinking stuff like substrate, for example, is in my opinion, another key to unlocking this new way of thinking. When we stop thinking about the substrates as just decoration or even a place to grow aquatic plants, we can approach things a bit differently. We need to examine wild aquatic habitats a bit more closely and go beyond just thinking about how the look would translate into a cool aquascape. Yeah, I think that we should look at substrates in our aquariums as more than just the bottom or a place to put rocks and wooden plants, but rather as a dynamic, living, integral component of a botanical closed, a balanced botanical-laden ecosystem. Uh, a place to culture supplemental food organisms, facilitate reproduction of fishes, and I'm thinking of, you know, bottom-spawning killifishes again, and to impact the chemical composition of our water. It would be great to apply as much emphasis to substrate in this vein as we do to other components of the aquarium. It's about more of those mental shifts, rethinking the hows and whys of what we've done for so long. A substrate can be and should be way more than gravel and sand. And if I have my say in the matter, it will be. And of course, if we dip back into nature for some inspiration, as we should, there's an amazing amount of ideas to take away. Consider so-called vernal pools, temporary 
or ephemeral or seasonal aquatic habitats where killifish come from. They don't just have a certain look to them, they have a function aspect, which affects the very life cycle of the organisms which reside there. Vernal pools are generally found on plains or grasslands, and they typically are small bodies of water, often just a few meters wide. The origin of the name vernal refers to the spring season, and this makes a lot of sense because most of these ephemeral habitats are at their maximum water depth during the springtime. Vernal pools are typically found in areas comprised of various soil types that contain clays, sediments, and silts. They can develop into what geologists call hydraulics or hydric soils, excuse me, which basically are soils that formed under conditions of saturation, flooding, or ponding long enough during the growing season to develop anaerobic conditions in the upper part of their, their structure. That's really interesting. A unique part of the vernal pools is what essentially is an impermeable layer of substrate called the clay pan. These substrates are hugely important to the formation of these habitats as clay soils bind so closely together that they become impermeable to water. Thus, when it rains, the water percolates until it reaches the clay pan and just sits there, filling up with decaying plant material, loose soils, and water. So yeah, the substrate is of critical importance to the aquatic life forms which reside in these pools. Let's talk killies for a second. One study of the much-loved African genus Nothobranchius indicated that the soils are the primary drivers of habitat suitability for these fishes and that the eggs can only survive the embryonic period and develop in specific soil types containing alkaline clay minerals known as smectites, which create the proper soil conditions for this in the in desiccated pool substrates that they are found in. The resulting mud-rich substrate in these pools has a low degree of permeability, which enables water to remain in a given vernal pool even after the surrounding water table may have receded. And of course, a lot of decaying materials like plants, parts, and leaf litter is present in that water, which would impact the pH and the other characteristics of this habitat. Interestingly, it's known by ecologists that the water may stay alkaline despite all of this stuff because of the buffering capacity of the alkaline clay that's present in the sediments. Interesting, right? And to literally cap it off, if this impermeable layer were not present, the vernal pools would desiccate so rapidly, or too rapidly actually, to permit the critical early phases of embryonic development of Nothobranchius eggs to occur. Yet these fishes are tied intimately to their environment. Now that's likely a deeper dive than you probably ever wanted to take into the vernal pool habitat, but it's just one example of what's out there in nature waiting for us to study and replicate in functional detail in our aquariums. The embrace of function of natural habitats and aquariums which represent them is, in my humble opinion, the current bleeding edge of freshwater aquarium keeping. And of course, it's not just the deeply tinted waters of the world that we're talking about. For example, our friend Thomas Minessi has spent years exploring the widely varied habitats of his native Democratic Republic of Congo, studying clear water habitats like the River Fwa, which are ripe for replication in aquariums with function and in form. He's discussed these habitats on the Tint Podcast a few times. It's well worth another listen. Look, I suppose the literal interpretations of natural aquatic ecosystems are so exciting to me because of the sheer variety which exists. You could literally spend a lifetime just trying to replicate a fraction of them. There's literally something for everyone out there. We just have to look and dive a little deeper. Get out there, literally and metaphorically. Stay curious, stay thoughtful, stay adventurous, stay creative, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tent and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.